0: So a few years, years, years ago, a friend who went to a different college than me told me a story from his years in college. He was in a fraternity, and at one of their events, they were passing out awards. Uh, it's not the kind of awards that it sounds like any of us would want to receive, though. Uh, these awards were reflective of the rest of the fraternity's attitudes towards them, the, their perception among the group. And so something similar, like think of your high school yearbook and how uh, someone might get best smile or most li- likely to succeed or things like that. Well, the award that my friend got was given. He said, uh, it said, Mr. I'm always right. And so am I, am I cutting out? Okay. All right. So everybody laughed Because they thought it was true. There was just one problem. My friend didn't laugh. He was flush with embarrassment. Uh, He didn't realize that he was coming off like that at all. Uh, And he knew as a Christ follower that that's not the way he should be coming off at all. And to my friend's credit, he used that experience as a moment of clarity, a moment of clarity from God. And he realized that he really did act like Mr. I'm Always Right. He really did act like a know-it-all. So, even though he's always been a very righteous person, and that's a good thing, to pursue the right thing, to be known for doing the right thing, and he continues to be that, he no longer has that reputation of a know-it-all, no longer has the reputation of Mr. I'm always right. And instead of making sure that people are aware of how good he is, he's striving consistently, he's known by striving to make other people successful, whether they're aware of that or not. So he serves in the background, he makes other people successful rather than making sure they know he's right. And one might think that if you're always right and other people know that you're always right, then you'd be trusted, right? I mean, but the opposite is true. And that bore itself out in my friend's life. He told me that he didn't really have many deep friendships up to that point in his life. And then after that point in his life, since he started shedding that identity, and he's still in the process, just like all of us, of shedding the sin that Christ has redeemed us from. But after he started shedding that old identity, uh, he has lots of deep spiritual friendships. And people trust him. Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Speed of Trust, and he said that everything moves at the speed of trust. And so having the mentality of a Mr. or Mrs. I'm always right hinders trust. And that's evidence in my friend's life and how before and after he won that award, his friendships were dramatically different. And it shouldn't surprise us that this attitude, which we all have in some way of Mr. I'm always right, That attitude is most likely to show its ugly face when someone disagrees with you. When someone says, ah, I'm not sure you're right, or you're just flat out wrong. And Mr. I'm always right thinks that he's always right. So he thinks he's beautiful, but it's really, really ugly. And in today's passage, that's exactly what's happening. Is Paul is being accused of accusations that, make him sound like he's not trustworthy. And instead of bringing out Mr. I'm always right, and even though Paul was right, his his point was that you can trust me. And so Paul's point wasn't you can trust me because I'm right. His point was you can trust me because Jesus is trustworthy. And I'm about Christ. I'm about what he's about. So our passage today is 2 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15 through verse 24. Paul writes, "'In this confidence I intended at first to come to you "'so that you might twice receive a blessing, "'that is, to pass your way into Macedonia "'and again from Macedonia to come to you "'and to be helped by you on my journey to Judea. "'Therefore, I was not vacillating when "'when I intended to do this, was I? "'Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh?' So that with me there will be yes, yes, and no, no. At the same time, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and by Silvanus and by Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him, is the amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also seated us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. But I call God as my witness, as as witness to my soul that to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy. For in your faith, you're standing firm. So Paul's point to them is simply, guys, you can trust me. In the midst of accusations, he defends his trustworthiness without actually defending himself. How does Paul defend defend his trustworthiness without defending himself? Well, there's three ways that Paul shows you can trust me. First, he addresses their doubt. Then he gives a defense. And then he reveals his motives. So first we see that Paul demonstrates his trustworthiness by addressing their doubts. And we see this in verses 15 through 17. He addresses their doubts specifically. The specific issue at hand is Paul's travel plans. He doesn't avoid the issue. He doesn't start with an excuse for why he changed his plans. He just says, here's the issue, let's recount it. So let's look together at what Paul's travel plans really were. And we'll get to the motives more later. So his plan was to go from Ephesus over to Corinth, then up to Macedonia, back down to Corinth for that second visit, a second blessing. And then to have the Corinthians help him make the longer trip over to Judea, which is in the bottom right corner of the map on the screen. And when Paul brings this up, I think he's implying, we all know it didn't happen this way. This was my plan. This is what I told you. But, the reason you're starting to doubt and not trusting me is because it didn't happen this way. So then he turns the question back on them and he says, does that really make me untrustworthy? Do you think I make plans on my own according to the flesh? And by addressing their doubt, Paul is actually giving them reason to trust him. In fact, he encourages them to doubt their doubts in how he presents this whole thing. Sometimes your doubts can lead you to something that's true. Sometimes your doubts can lead you away from the truth. Just because you doubt something doesn't make it any more true or false objectively. And so Paul just asked them the question, was I flip-flopping when I planned this? Do you know how I make my plans? It's not me just making plans based on what I think is best. And we're going to get more into how to make plans like Paul made plans later. But Paul is addressing these concerns directly. He's not skirting the issue at all. He's not making excuses at first, which is, I think, our human tendency to just want to make excuses when we're put on the defensive. Nor is he ignoring the issue. He's showing that he can be trusted by addressing the issue directly. And I think there's a quick, helpful point of application here. If people are doubting you, maybe doubting your faith, Or maybe if you're doubting the faith, don't get defensive. Just address it. It's okay to say, I don't know the answer to that question. But address it directly. That's a good question. Let me look into that and get back to you. What that shows people is that you're not trusting yourself. That you aren't claiming to have all the answers. And that you are willing to address issues. And you're willing to address it with them. It earns you some trust in the lives of people. And that's what Paul was doing here. The second way that Paul shows his trustworthiness is by making Jesus his defense. Paul made Jesus his defense instead of defending himself. Notice Paul didn't really answer their question, he just asked it right back at them (laughs) Does that make me not trustworthy? Do you really think that I was vacillating? So in verses 18 through 22, Paul is now going to point them to Jesus as the answer to their questions. So verse 18 says, but as God is faithful, our word, Paul is writing with company of Timothy and maybe Sylvanus, our word to you is not yes and no. For the son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by that crowd that I just mentioned, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many as are the promises of God, in him, in Christ, they are yes. Therefore also through Christ is the amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Paul goes all Paul in this section. This is just vintage Paul. He's really, really straightforward, like basically repeating the question that the Corinthians were thinking, asking them. And then it seems like he jumps into this high and lofty language with countless prepositions and all these phrases that frankly could merit a sermon or a sermon series just in and of themselves. You have been anointed by God. Well, that's pretty weighty, Paul. But here's what he's doing. It seems like a big jump, but it's really not a big jump. That's what I want you to see today. It seems like a big jump from Paul saying, here were my plans. I admit, these were my plans. These plans didn't happen. But then Paul's saying, but look at Jesus. All my plans were centered on Jesus and the certainty of Jesus. So you're looking at my plans and thinking, can we trust Paul? And Paul's saying, I'm looking at Jesus as God's plan and the Jesus that I proclaim to you, saying, you can trust him, therefore you can trust me. So when you make plans according to the Lord, it's not that big of a jump to go from really straightforward language to high and lofty theological language. That's what Paul's doing between verses 17 and verse 18. And here's the key. Here's the connecting word. It should be highlighted in uh, red, I think, on the screen, if, if I'm connected to where my slides are. The, the key phrase is that Paul equates our word with Jesus. So he says, our word is yes in Jesus. Because Paul isn't proclaiming himself, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And Paul is proclaiming himself as a servant for Jesus' sake. So he's saying, our word is a sure thing because our word is Jesus. That's what we're making our whole relationship with you about, Corinth. So on the flip side, the Corinthians thought Paul was being flaky, bailing on the plans that he'd made. And Paul's saying, no, I'm pointing you to the most sure and certain and assured thing person possible, not myself, but Christ. Paul's saying, I was just playing my role to God's glory. I'm paraphrasing the rest of this lofty language for us. Paul's saying, I was just playing my role to God's glory, and that role is a response to what God has done in establishing and anointing me. And so we have an idea, I think, of what establishing means. We still use that word. We see established 1991 on t-shirts, but anointing, not so much. So, what does anointing mean? It means divinely authorized. So, Old Testament kings, they got anointed with oil as a way of symbolizing to the people this person is divinely authorized by God for this position. And so, Paul's saying, I've been established by God, I've been anointed, I've been divinely authorized by God. Because at the heart of this whole book, they're questioning Paul. And then in questioning Paul, they're questioning Christ. And Paul is answering their question about his trustworthiness by pointing them to Jesus, by making Jesus his defense. And essentially he's saying, God makes us adequate because God's the one who authorized me for this position, for this relationship. And then he finishes by pointing them to the Spirit if you want a taste of it, if you want a down payment, consider the Spirit. He's the already part of the kingdom. We already get to experience God in the person of the Holy Spirit right now, not yet in fullness. And so Paul says that we've been sealed and given the Spirit as a pledge, a down payment. So Paul shows he can be trusted because even though his plans changed, The promises of God did not change. And Paul's plans were all about the unchanging promises of God. Paul's plans were about Jesus. So the third way that Paul shows that he's trustworthy is by revealing his motives. So listen to Paul's transparency here in verses 23 and 24. I call God as my witness, that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we're workers with you for your joy. For in your, in your faith, you are standing firm. And then even at the beginning of this passage, he says, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. Paul shows, hey, you can trust me because I'm not hiding anything. My motives are really clear. I'm simply here to serve you and bless you, not to hold anything over you but to work with you for your joy as you grow in the faith. And this is where I see the theme of the book of 2 Corinthians being played out in in our passage today. If you remember, the theme of the book is power and weakness. Uh, Here's the weakness of this week. (laughs) Relationships. The Corinthians were holding Paul's change of plans against him. And the reason that Paul changed his plans... Was for their good, for their blessing. How ironic. That's power and weakness. So God's power was being displayed while Paul was being misunderstood, assumed that he was not trustworthy, when in fact, all he was doing was giving them reasons to trust him. And really, this should remind us of another leader who was often misunderstood. Even though this leader was also always in the right, he never shamed anyone. Even when they shamed him, he prayed for them. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus. So the big picture application for us today is, can you be counted on? Can you be trusted? And why? Is your reason that you consider yourself a trustworthy person because of yourself or because of the person that Christ has made you to become? The person that Christ is developing within you. And there are some ways that we can become more trustworthy people as we grow in our walk with God. I think Stick into the, the story, the passage today. Let's look at how we make plans. <laughs> make plans according to the spirit. And you might think, well, that's kind of an ambiguous phrase that's very churchy, that's very Christianese. I don't even know what that means. Well, it'll make more sense as we look at the other applications, And they're all right there, so you can already start making sense of it. But Paul did not make plans according to the flesh he made plans out of his intimacy that he had in relationship with God. His plans were spiritual. They were worked out of his belief of what God was calling him to do. Paul's hope was not in the plan or in the execution of it, clearly. His plans changed. But both his first plan and his second plan had this in common. They existed to serve people. So spiritual plans exist to serve people and bless people. And when the Corinthians failed to obey Jesus, they grieved Paul and Paul changed the plans because spiritual plans exist to bless others. And Paul wasn't afraid to reveal those motives because his motives were pure. So if we want to move towards becoming more trustworthy people, our plans should be centered around blessing others And the next point helps us to show what what that word blessing, that's another churchy word. What does that even mean? Well, spiritual plans are connected to proclaiming Jesus because he's the blessing. He's the greatest blessing. If you want to bless others and you're trying to do it without Jesus, you're not really going to bless them. Your blessing will just be temporary. It'll be like a Band-Aid on cancer. It's not going to do any good. Apart from him, we can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. So make plans like that's true. Another application is, in all your planning, are you willing to address doubts both within yourself and receiving doubts from outside of yourself? Will you allow people to doubt you even if they're wrong? for doing so without getting defensive. Are you good with this idea of loving your enemies? Well, are you good with living this idea of loving your enemies? So let's spend some time thinking very practically, okay, how, how, can, how can this be done in our lives? Well, think about your week. Your week Like my week is just full of commitments. Work is a commitment. Sleep is a commitment. Family is a commitment. Friends, commitment. Having a quiet time, commitment. Small group, commitment. Cleaning the house as often as you do or don't do it, it's commitment. Walking the dog. So, in what ways are those plans? rooted in the gospel. If you're married, God called you to marry that person. Or he's calling you to love and serve that person and stay married to that person. And as a Christian, your marriage is to be a proclamation of the gospel. Your plan is connected to the gospel. It's not a big jump. If you're a teacher, and I'm proud that we're a church with a lot of teachers. If you're leading a classroom, how are you seeking to serve them? You are leading them, but you're serving these kids and their families. How are you seeking to bless them? And I understand that proclaiming the gospel in a public school classroom especially is tricky. (laughs) I have friends who've helped me understand the implications of that. But you can still proclaim Christ by praying for these kids. And you can still model servant leadership because you are leading these kids. And it's connected to the purposes of God in the world. Or you can even take a step back, like don't even look at your week, look at your life. What what do you do? Why do you do what you do? What do you look forward to about retirement or your future plans? Or if you're in college, why do you plan on taking the trajectory of life that you plan on taking? This is all connected to who you trust. Our plans are connected to who we trust. And don't hear me say, all right, make a lot of goals, make them real spiritual goals, I'm not, and then accomplish those goals. I'm not saying that. I'm saying be intentional with your life. That's what Christ is inviting us to, be intentional. And think about not, oh, what the ideal life would be like, but what is the next step that God is calling me to do? Maybe it's praying for your neighborhood as you walk your dog. Just take the next step. And it does not you don't have to pray the whole time you walk your dog. Just start developing habits of remembering God's grace and responding to it in the midst of your plans. Even if you decide, hey, I'm going to watch Netflix with my wife tonight. Thank God for chill nights at home watching Netflix. That's spiritual too. God is grateful. He he, he appreciates. He's pleased by your praise. Even if it's thanking him for Netflix. And of course, we don't want to be mastered by anything. But all all things are permissible. Let's not be mastered by any of it but let's use it all to draw near to God. And when those plans don't work out, you're not personally condemned. They weren't your righteousness in the first place. Jesus was your righteousness. He is your righteousness. He'll always be your righteousness. And that means that you're right with God because of him and not because of anything that you've said or anything that you've done. And so you can keep trusting him. Even though he's always right, he doesn't carry himself like a know-it-all. He won't throw your mistakes, bad choices, unfulfilled promises back in your face and let you know about it. He'll embrace you should you come to him and trust him and keep trusting him. And then he'll begin to make you into the type of person which others can safely trust. So, Paul shows three ways that he can be trusted. He addresses their doubt. He gives a defense. He reveals his motives. Jesus is the reason that he could address their doubts without being defensive. Because Jesus was Paul's defense. And Jesus was the source of Paul's motives. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been pure motives. Paul had nothing to hide. And you can do the same because of Christ. You can become a person worthy of trust by pursuing Jesus and proclaiming him. So that should inform the plans that we make. Christ, our relationship with him, should inform the direction our life takes, the plans we make, both small and big. That doesn't mean you have to spend all the time that you have hearing from God on the small decisions, but it just means including him in all those decisions so that you can be pleasing to him and be a blessing to people. So let's pray. Talk to God about your life, about the plans that you've made, and just be honest with him about why you've made them. Don't be afraid to be wrong. Don't be afraid to be right. Thank God if, his grace has moved you to make plans for his name's sake. And commit your plans to the Lord. Whether that means changing them or continuing down the path that you're on. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us. We need to hear from you to know how to live.